Thanks for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. We're a church in the great city of San Francisco, and our heart is that everyone would experience true sanctuary in Jesus. We're currently in a series called Just Jesus, where we're walking through the Gospel of Mark so that in this time of deconstruction and disappointment, we can simply get our eyes on this person of Jesus. Just a quick note, our teaching often does include a decent amount of discussion and community response, and we do intentionally edit that out in order to preserve confidentiality and the Sunday experience. So you'll likely not hear the full content or context of the teaching, but still, our hope is that this will encourage you and equip you. And really, we're just so honored that you would listen in. Here it is. Okay. So, if you have your Bible, uh, would you go with me to Mark chapter 9? We're going to be verses 1 through 13. It'll also be on the screen. And could I get someone to volunteer to read this for me? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to me. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does not come first and restores all things. I'm sorry, does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Thank you so much. Okay, so we're going to do what we normally do. We're going to circle up in groups of maybe two to four and answer these two questions. What does this passage say about God? And what does this passage say about people? So take several minutes, circle up and and chat through this. You don't have to answer one or the other. Ideally answer both, but uh, then we'll come back and talk about it. Joking about uh, this being a complex passage. It, It is, but I am very excited to unpack it. This morning because I think it's really fascinating. It's really interesting. And so we have been going through Mark and 
this passage is from Mark. I will also be borrowing a good amount from Matthew and from Luke. This is mostly because Mark's written to the Roman Christians, whereas Matthew and Luke is pretty much written specifically towards the Jews. The transfiguration is especially significant to the Jews. And and the, the way that these passages are laid out with references and symbolism, the imagery really would have been significant to the Jews, those who had grown up reading the Old Testament and and reading this. And so I actually do want to borrow a bit from from Matthew and Luke because I think it paints a better picture of, of this event. So ultimately, the transfiguration both serves as evidence that Jesus is the Messiah and fully God. It also glorifies him as the leader of the new covenant, as being the new covenant. So the first thing we're going to look at is how the transfiguration has symbols and signals that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And uh, then we'll briefly touch on what it would have meant, what this event would have meant to those who were present, what it would have been like for them. So first of all, looking at symbols... The first symbol that we have here is the mountain. So in verse 2, Peter, James, and John, Jesus took them and led them up a high mountain. So the mountain would have been used throughout the Old Testament and, and actually was used throughout the Old Testament to be this place that we see God meet with his people. So anytime that we see a mountain, or pretty much anytime we see a mountain, it's God meeting with his people. We have Mount Moriah, which is in Genesis 22, where the sacrifice of Isaac was going to take place. That's where Abraham, he asks Abraham to take Isaac. That's also where David builds his altar. And later is where Solomon builds the temple, is on Mount Moriah. It's this place that God's presence dwells and where he meets his people. Probably the most famous mountain is Mount Sinai. This is very famous for Moses, of course, who God appears to multiple times there. First as a burning bush, that is at Mount Sinai. And then the most famously, this is where the covenant is given. This is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments, is on Mount Sinai. Also, less well-known, Elijah also has a moment with God at Mount Sinai. That's where, that's where God appears to Elijah as a still, a still small voice is at Mount Sinai as well. There's also Mount Hermon. There's Mount Zion. There's throughout the Old Testament, we see that if you want to meet with God, you go on top of a mountain. And that is just throughout scripture that becomes the case. So if you want to go and meet with God, I invite you to go on top of a mountain. If you haven't figured it out by now, this whole sermon is, is really just an ad for the North Face. Uh, for all of your mountaineering needs, when you want to go on top of the mountain and meet with the Lord, North Face. Not Patagonia. So the setting of the mountain instantly tells us that God is going to appear. As soon as we see a high mountain, we know God's going to appear. And the second symbol that's used here is later on, and that is the cloud. 
So the cloud has been synonymous throughout the Old Testament as well with God's presence. If you remember, most notably, probably God led Israel with a cloud pillar when they went out of Egypt. Also, in Exodus 19, God descends as a cloud onto Mount Sinai and is revealed to to all Israel. Just a few chapters later, Exodus 24, when Moses goes up to receive the covenant on Mount Sinai, also, the text says that the, cl- the cloud came and covered the mountain. Throughout Exodus, we see God showing up as a cloud. In Isaiah and in Ezekiel, they also refer to God as a cloud. They refer to the presence of God as a cloud. Also, most recently in Mark, we saw at Jesus' baptism that when he's baptized, God's voice comes from the heavens or comes from the clouds to speak to him. And then even this is uh, where we talk about the tabernacle, actually. The word, the NIV says covered, uh, but the ESV has overshadowed. And in either way, the, the original Greek word that is used there, overshadowed, covered, it's the same exact word that's used to describe when the tabernacle is covered by God in Exodus 40, and they literally can't even, Moses can't even go into the tabernacle because it's just so thick with God's presence. It's the same word, and that word is used to now say the, the cloud is coming, and instead of covering the tabernacle, it's, it's covering Jesus. Jesus is the new tabernacle that is being covered. He's done away with the old structures. He is now the tabernacle. He is where the presence of God is now dwelling. And so as soon as we see, as soon as we see the cloud, and specifically as soon as we read a cloud overshadowed them, we know the presence of God is there. They also use signals. Uh, This passage also has signals that we're going to cover as well. The first of which is just the statement six days is already a signal, a signpost, a reference. I'll use all words when when I'm referring to, to these signals to very likely it's a reference to Moses again, who waited on Mount Sinai for six days before on the seventh God finally spoke to him. So we see after six days, Jesus took with him. And then so on the seventh day, Jesus takes them with him and then God shows up and God speaks to them. So this is very likely an allusion uh, to to Moses on Sinai. The second is uh, we can see it in the descriptions of of this passage. Mark 9 verse 3 uh, says his clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And then Luke chapter 9, verses 29 says, as he was praying, this is the same account, uh, but Luke's version, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And then Matthew takes it even further. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, we see, There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So what we see here is is Jesus being described with this face that is the sun, and then his clothes look like lightning. 
That is what he appears as in this moment. And this is the same description. This blinding face and clothing has been the description that's been used for God throughout the Old Testament. The Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter chapter 7, he's described as having clothing white as snow and hair like pure wool. And then Ezekiel's vision when he sees a man on a throne He sees him with the appearance of glowing metal or of fire. So what we've seen is the father or God has been described through scripture as having blazing white clothing and a face that looks like fire. And now what we see is Jesus has the same appearance. The veil has actually come down for a second and we're able to see that Jesus looks exactly like what the father has been described as looking like this whole time. So his appearance is that of the father. The other, the other obvious parallel to the blinding face is Moses himself. Again, in, uh, in Exodus, we see that Moses would go into the, the tabernacle. And when he came out, he had to cover his face with a veil because the Israelites couldn't look at him. That his face was too bright, it was blinding. This is very similar. The difference is, is uh, particularly, though, that what we have in, in uh, the description of Moses is, is a light shining on him, basically. So he's, he's reflecting a light, and that's why they can't see him, is that he has a reflection of light, whereas the word that's used for Jesus is transfigured, which comes from metamorphosis, which means in Greek it it would have meant that this was a change on the outside that came from a change within. So the difference for Jesus is that his light was actually coming from within. It wasn't something outside that was happening to him, like what happened to Moses where something shone on him, and that's why his face became so bright. With Jesus, it was a change within, so something that was already in him just shifted and became visible, that he was now blindingly bright and light just for a moment. This is, uh, Spurgeon talks about this, Charles Spurgeon says it's, it's not actually a new miracle, but it's a, it's a temporary pause of an ongoing miracle. The real miracle was that Jesus could actually keep from displaying his glory. <laughs> that for, for Christ to be glorious was almost a less matter than for him to restrain or hide his glory. It is forever his glory that he concealed his glory and that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor. I love, I love that quote from, from Spurgeon. It's, it's amazing that what he's doing here is, is actually just lowering the veil for one, for one brief moment in the presence of his close confidants and witnesses. Now, we've touched on this several times why are Moses and Elijah there? What, what, what's the purpose? Why Moses and Elijah? Could have been Adam and Eve. Could have been Abraham. Could have been Isaac. Could have been David. David certainly seems like he would have fit the category. Why, why, why Moses and Elijah? So to know that, we have to look at, at something. We have to understand, we call it the Old Testament now, but do you know what they would have called they wouldn't have called it the Old Testament when Jesus was speaking and when Jesus was alive. Do you know what the the Jews what they would have called the writings that were the Old Testament? 
the Torah is definitely one part, and the, the Torah meant the, the law, and then there was another part, which was the prophets. So what they, what they referred to the scriptures as was the law and the prophets. So Moses is here because he is the literal embodiment of the law. He is the one who wrote the Torah, the one that the Torah came to, and also is is the one that like literally received the law, literally received the covenant. Moses is here to represent the law. And Elijah is like the shining example through all scripture of the prophet. He is the quintessential prophet that the Israelites would have been like, yeah, that guy, Elijah, he's the prophet. That's why people would compare Jesus to Elijah so often was because he was the guy. They knew that Jesus was prophetic and they were, well, well, Elijah's our guy. And so Elijah is there to be the prophets, the, the literal embodiment of the prophets. So in, in a way, the whole Old Testament, both the law and the prophets are here to bear witness to Jesus as the new covenant, that, that Jesus is the way forward. So the final signal that I'll get into is the Father's affirmation. So this, this differs in, uh, each, in each passage. In Mark, it just says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. But if we look at it in total from taking Matthew, taking Mark, taking Luke, what it, what it reads is, this is my beloved son, my chosen one, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And this, this scripture actually is just packed. Every, every part of it has, every part of it has something that is a reference to another part of scripture. The, the first part, this is, this is my son, is a reference to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, which refers to the anointed one of God, the king who sits on Zion. And Psalm 2, verse 7 says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Even the word beloved in the context of son here has, has a meaning. The, the fact that it, he says, this is my beloved son gives us a direct reference to Genesis chapter 22, which I referenced earlier, which is where God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Throughout this account, we see Isaac. God refers to Isaac through the identity of being the beloved son of Abraham. Now, that passage obviously in and of itself is, is an obvious parallel to Jesus and, and was an obvious precursor, something that was, it was saying this is what's to come. We have Isaac, the beloved son, who is being potentially sacrificed and then is saved at the last minute. And then we have Jesus now, who is the beloved son of God, who will be sacrificed. So even the word beloved is, is meant to pull us and say, oh yes, I remember the passage where Abraham was asked, to, to sacrifice Isaac. I remember that. And then my chosen one with whom I'm well pleased, this middle portion is a reference to Isaiah 42 verse 1. 
Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So my, my chosen one in whom I delight or in whom I take pleasure, in whom I am well pleased, even uh, just this middle portion is a reference to Isaiah 42 and is speaking to Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecies. The last bit, listen to him, sounds like a command, and it is. It absolutely is, but it is also coming as the fulfillment of a prophecy that Moses himself gave in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. So I, you make a picture Moses standing there just like, mm-hmm, this is the guy. This is, he just, he quoted me right now. Like, he's him. That's who I was talking about is him. He was a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. We listen to him now. So what we have here, this, the father's affirmation is, is all of these references to other points in scripture. So in the midst of Moses and Elijah, in the midst of the law and the prophets, the voice of the father comes to speak identity over Jesus. He's the anointed one, the king over Zion, the beloved son to be sacrificed, the fulfillment of the prophecies. Moses and Elijah are there to bear witness that we listen to, to Jesus now. They're, they're literally there just to play second fiddle in a lot of ways. They're there just to point a light and say, hey, we're the law and we're the prophets, but he's the king. He's the one that goes forward. We listen to him. He's God's messenger that supersedes the law and the prophets. We follow him now, which is astounding that... And, I just love, there are potentially more reasons that Elijah and Moses are, are there. If you want, you can ask me afterwards. I don't want to get into it, but ultimately they're there to point and say, hey, Jesus is the new covenant. We, we were the law and the prophets. We were there for a time, but this is who comes next. This is the king. We follow him now. The last thing I want to talk about, uh, you can jump to just... I think blank slides, yeah, is what this would have looked like or what this would have meant to Peter, James, and John to, to be present there. It's, it's likely nighttime. We only know this from Luke says that they're, Luke says that they are heavy with sleep. Uh, so it's, it's very likely nighttime. We also know that Jesus went, went up to pray and he often prayed at night. So it's very likely dark outside and they're likely sleeping, and they come out of sleep. They wake up out of sleep to this sight. They see Moses and Elijah. They know who they are because somehow they know who they are, even though they've, they've never seen them. They know it's Moses and Elijah who have lived hundreds, thousands of years ago, and they're, but they know that they're there with Jesus, who is blindingly bright, He's a flash of lightning. He's shining like the sun. And they're just, they're probably too stunned or scared to, to really, I mean, Peter speaks, we know this, and he doesn't 
some of the passages says he doesn't know what to say. One of them said he didn't even know what he said. But, uh, but then the cloud comes, and they probably were too stunned to even realize it, but they would have known, they would have read, oh my gosh, cloud coming, enveloping us on a mountaintop. They would have also known the presence, this is the presence of God literally here. They would have known that as it was happening. And Matthew tells us, that they fell on their faces. Shocker, okay? Like, of course they did. I would have fallen on my face as well. Matthew also tells us that Jesus, who's always, who's always looking for intimacy, comes over and touches them and says, rise and have no fear. So this is a little side note because this is just, this is incredible. Throughout the Old Testament, We've seen that people fall on their face in response to being in the divine presence of God. People fall on their face. And this, again, of course, happens. But what's different now is Jesus steps in and Jesus steps in in between and says, oh, you don't actually have to be afraid anymore. Like, I'm here now so you can lift your faces uh, because... Because I'm present now. That, like in the past, I understand the, the fear, but you don't have have no fear anymore. Lift up your heads. You can you can look now because I'm here. And I mean, this changed this changed Peter's life, John's life, James' life. I, I there's no way that you could come back from this and just be normal. But this sort of divine revelation of God's power. John writes about it. Peter writes about it as well. In, in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, uh, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter's like verbatim, I know exactly what was said. I, I, I remember that like it was literally yesterday. This, this just changed their life. There, there was no coming back from that. When I was in college, uh, my, a bunch of my good friends convinced me to join a football team, intramural football team with them, which I had never played. I'd never played organized football at all. And so I was like, I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing, guys. And I remember going to the first game, and the other team showed up, and they were clearly all former players. Like, they were all guys who had played for years, they were most of them were over six feet tall, and uh, most they pretty much all looked like they spent more time in the gym than they did awake. Like it just didn't. I was like, "What the heck, guys? <laughs> what is?" I, I was so nervous. Like, what am I even doing on the field right now? I should not be here. And I remember the first play, we hiked the ball. I ran my route. The defender was right on me because I wasn't able to get away from him. But still, I turned, ready to catch the pass, and I saw our QB, my friend Ridge, and there were multiple 
guys from the other team were just like surrounding him and he he spun around both of them and he just out one guy he outran two more guys and basically he made it almost all the way to the end zone before they finally got him and i realized in that moment oh they don't need me at all <laughs> and the pressure just lifted off of me as i realized there's no expectation for me to be the star here i literally am just here to be a body on the field so they don't have to forfeit the game. <laughs> like, there's just, there's just, there's no pressure on me whatsoever. And this is what it must have been like for Peter, James, and John to be there and just realize, I mean, Jesus in the passage before this had just said to them, look, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. And they're thinking, what? the heck okay uh i don't feel qualified to lead this ministry with with him and their spirits are down they're thinking what i what am i doing here and then jesus is transfigured before them this blinding light the presence of god is there the kingdom of heaven is present in power and they just realize oh yeah i'm not the star i don't need to really do anything i just need to be on the field and then he's he's got it from there like jesus has got it from there i I don't need to do anything thanks so much for tuning in to the sanctuary church podcast if we can be of any help to you please don't hesitate to contact us at hello at sanctuarysf.com we would love to connect And wherever this finds you, may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father.